us turn to read from the Scriptures, from Paul's epistle to the Galatians, and the third chapter. Paul's epistle to the Galatians, and the third chapter. We shall read from the first verse. Let us hear the word of the Lord. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore, that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but The man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. 
Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Amen. And may the Lord add his blessing to that reading from his word this evening. It is a very great privilege to come amongst you this evening. Thank you very much for the invitation. I do bring you greetings from the chapel at Bellsview Green in Sussex, where I come from. I trust that you know the Lord's blessing tonight. Let us just briefly commit ourselves to the Lord once again in prayer before we come to the Word. Gracious God, we come before Thee tonight once more. Lord, we come now particularly to consider thy words together. Lord, we pray that as we come, even thou wouldst presence thyself amongst us. Lord, overcome all the weaknesses of speech, Lord, the weakness of the one who declares the word tonight. Yet, Lord, use thy word, we pray thee. Though it come weakly, yet it is a powerful word, Lord. And we pray, bless thy word tonight. May thy gospel indeed have success amongst us tonight. Lord, bless souls and draw them into the kingdom, we pray thee. Lord, for we ask these things for Christ's sake. Amen. Please turn once again to the portion that we read together from Galatians. Paul's epistle to the Galatians, chapter 3. I would particularly like to draw your attention tonight to verse 22. Galatians, chapter 3, and verse 22. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. In this chapter that we have read together a little while earlier, we see Paul, the apostle here, when he is writing and addressing these Galatian believers who meet in the church at Galatia, in Galatia, the church is in Galatia, I should say, Galatia being a region, when he writes to them, he has a great concern for them. He has a great concern for them because they have departed from the simplicity of the faith which they had been taught at the first. 
the simplicity of the gospel which was preached to them and by which they had been saved. And they had turned aside to the old ways. They had turned aside and tried to mingle in with their faith, the works of the law. And they had sought that they might have salvation, believing that they would have it not just by Jesus Christ, but also by the works of the law and by the old ways which the Jews still promoted, which the Jews had practiced before. That was where they sought their justification from. And we see in this portion, he argues against this very strongly. Not, of course, to disannul the law. Not in any way to cast any shadow over the law. But to demolish any establishment of man's own works as being saving for him. To demolish any hope that a man might have of being righteous and being acceptable in the sight of God by the works of the law. By the things that he does. By how he goes about his life. By all the good things that he does in his life. This is what the apostle sets out to demolish in this portion. And he does so in various different ways. Of course, there is that wonderful text, the just shall live by faith. This, as it were, is the very center of the matter. A very fundamental principle which was most boldly proclaimed and as it were, refound at the time of the Reformation, when Martin Luther especially was struck by this text, or these words, the just shall live by faith. He had sought all those years to justify himself by his own works. He had afflicted himself and tormented himself in various ways in an attempt to try to gain acceptance before God, and they had all failed. But it came to him, the just shall live by faith. And that, the faith of Jesus Christ, given to them that believe, as we have it in our text. We have a great controversy, if you like, which is apparent. It is not a controversy, of course, but it may be thought to be one in the minds of some, and certainly in the case here, between the law and the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. But there is no controversy. The law, it is perfect, it is holy, it is good, it is just. There can nothing be said against the law. But all must be said against the man who cannot keep that law. Who cannot, for his life's sake, to save himself, do what he ought to do in the sight of God and obey those commands of God. Well, we have then our text before us tonight. Let us proceed through it. Part by part. It commences with these words. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin. Well, first of all, what exactly is meant here by the scripture? What is meant here by those words, the scripture? The scripture hath concluded all under sin. That is to say, all have sinned. The scripture has determined that all have sinned. Well, we may take this. In a very broad sense, or we may take it in a narrower sense. You may take it in the narrower sense in the way that by Scripture here could be meant the law of God. The law of God conclude, has concluded all under sin. And by this we can see two further ways by which this may be seen, which are that it may be seen in the Ten Commandments, First of all, which were given upon Mount Sinai, 
How do they conclude all under sin? They conclude all under sin because no man can keep them. No man can keep those Ten Commandments which were given on Sinai. Not one. Save the God-man, Jesus Christ, who kept them perfectly. But of all those commands, you may look at them from the outside. You may read through the Ten Commandments contained in Exodus chapter 20 and repeat it again in Deuteronomy. And you may think, well, some of these things I've never done wrong. I've never killed anyone. Perhaps you might say, some of these things, I'm completely innocent on these points. I've never committed this sin in my life before. How can you say I've broken the whole law? We have two reasons we can bring against that. The first is that James tells us in his epistle, that he that breaks one part of the law has broken all. And my friends, you have surely hated someone in your heart. If you have hated someone in your heart, then Christ teaches that this is killing someone. It is murdering them in your heart. And my friends, Christianity is not a religion which runs itself by head knowledge. It's not a religion which runs itself solely by what you do. But it is a religion of what you do in your heart, your deepest emotions, how they are moved, how they are affected, how they are stirred up. It's not just merely intellectual, not just your works, not just what you actually do with your hand. But it is what you think in your heart, your very deepest feelings, where your affections are centered. Where your heart is there, will your treasure be also, Christ teaches. My friends, it is so. If we hate someone in our heart, we have broken that commandment also. And if you consider every one of those Ten Commandments in any detail, and you use the principles which Christ expounds them with, and you look at them in their spiritual sense, there is not a man on the earth who is innocent of any of those commands. And he has broken all of them. And he is under condemnation from all of them. And he cannot escape. There is no loophole in them by which a man can be saved from those commands of God. Not because of any failure on the commands, but because of man's failure. He himself is the one who has fallen. He himself is the one who from Adam has been bent towards sin, bent towards wickedness, in a state whereby he cannot do anything good enough to save himself. You know, even the very best things that you do, they're tainted with sin. Perhaps it will be that there will be a wrong motive that creeps in. You'll be trying to get attention by doing good things. You'll be trying to go about and doing all these good things, hoping that you'll get noticed by somebody, hoping that you'll get some prestige from it, you'll get a name, you'll become known as somebody who does all these wonderfully good things and everyone will be talking about it. My friends, there may be wrong motives creep into all sorts of things. And sometimes we may struggle even to know our own hearts in the matter. We struggle to know whether we are doing things from the right motive or not. Because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We may consider that. The scripture could be taken in the sense of the Ten Commandments. But it could also be taken in the sense of the laws of God which are laid out in the Old Testament. Those laws which are set forth 
in the Old Testament, which were what we call judicial and ceremonial laws, which were ordained for the worship of God and for the ruling of the nation of Israel. What do these teach to us? Well, to begin with, you will notice if you read through the ceremonial laws about the worship of God in the tabernacle, you will find they are incredibly complex. They are incredibly detailed. They are to be performed with great carefulness. I might say they are almost impossible to perform themselves. And it is very easy to fall, one would have thought, in, obe- in obeying them. But worse than this, we see that all of those sacrifices which were offered in the tabernacle under the old dispensation, which were offered for sin daily, they were repeated. They were constantly having to be done, time and time and time again. Every year the high priest went into the Holy of Holies. Every day the sacrifices for sin were offered. It was a continual work, and it never ceased. And why? Because those sacrifices, all the blood of bulls and of goats, could not atone for sin of man. It could not do it of itself. All the labors of their hands couldn't do it. All of their greatest devotion to the work of God couldn't do it. All of their best keeping of this law, of the worship of God, it would avail them nothing. But what was in all of those? In all of those instructions, in all of those sacrifices, in all that was done in the tabernacle worship, it was all pointing to Christ. There, Even reading through, you may find it sometimes difficult if you read through the Scriptures consecutively on your own. It's a good thing to do. You may struggle when you come to read through Leviticus and the books of the law. You may find yourself getting somewhat bogged down into them. There are so many details and so many pieces of information which seem, to some extent, we might say, to be quite irrelevant to your life tomorrow. But my friends, in all of those things... In every single tiny detail of those sacrifices, there is a pointer to Christ. Somehow. Would to God that we had the grace to see Christ the more in these places. That we might see him there. They were a means to an end. They were not works for the work's sake. But they were works because of Christ pointing to him to direct the people's thoughts to him. To look to him. Christ. Jesus the Lord. But even these must conclude all under sin. And then, the other way that we may take this, the whole of the Scriptures, they also conclude all men under sin. There are so many, so many portions that we could turn to tonight, which prove to us clearly the whole of the Scripture is united about this one fundamental point. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Is the unanimous report from any book of the Scriptures you might turn to. They all say the same thing. All have sinned. Come short of the glory of God. And what is that glory of God? They have failed to keep His law. They have failed to be walking in His holiness as He has prescribed. And they have come short of the mark. You know, when perhaps you shoot an arrow, there is a a mark 
There is something that you are shooting it towards, the target. And you are trying to get it at the target, to hit the target. But you may fire the arrow and it may come short. And maybe a few paces back it, it goes into the ground. This is what it is to come short of the mark. And my friends, there is a very high standard of living which God has set. Which God designed man to live at. But because of the fall, he must be so many ranks below it. So many ranks below it that he is entirely depraved of himself. He cannot help himself. And there is no scrap of good in him. Secondly then, what is the state of being concluded under sin? What is this state which all men are in concluded under sin? Since it is the unanimous opinion of this book, the unanimous statement of this book, that all are concluded under sin, what exactly is this state? This state of the natural man, without Christ, who is, as the text, as the scriptures describe it, under the law, as we have it in this chapter. The scripture hath concluded all under sin. That is to say, all are in a state where they are offensive in the sight of God. All are not in any position whereby they may gain any acceptance before the sight of God, but they must be rejected of him by nature. This is a very solemn truth. It is a truth which so many do not like to hear, because it is a sobering one. It is a most serious one, and yet it is a matter of life and death. Here is a matter of such great importance, and yet it is so obnoxious to some people. They cannot have it. We will not have this. And yet, my friends, such as are of this persuasion, what will be the end of them? They must be cast into hell if they turn not from their evil ways. But my friends, this is the due for every one of us, naturally. By nature, this is the due of man, mankind, without exception. There is no question, but that is the destination that all must be bound. We know there are two places to which men must go. There is heaven and there is hell. So often we hear about heaven. So often people say, well, I hope I'll go to heaven. I hope I'll get into heaven. But my friends, so few talk about hell. So few talk about the realities of it, the torment of it, the terror of it. My friends, Satan will seek to snatch as many as he can. He's a defeated foe. But he will drag as many souls with him into that place as he can. He's doomed to it himself. He will take as many as he can with him. Blinding their eyes. Causing them not to be able to see the light. Distracting them with the things of the world. The things of this life. That they cannot. They will not. Have this man to rule over them. My friends, it is a truly sobering place. It is a place of such horror and torment that the very worst of torments that man has invented, and has he not invented many cruel inventions to torture his fellow man over the years, even these things, 
lives will be nothing like it. Even the very worst of torments, even the most cruelest of deaths that man can invent, and if you read of the early church, you can read of so many that those wicked Roman emperors concocted for their own amusement and pleasure to put the Christians to death. And yet this will be far worse. Those Christians in the early church, they knew this is just for a while. Tribulation now, but glory to come. But my friends, there is no such thing with this. In hell there will be no glory to come. There will be no relief to come. We may endure things for a season, having hope within us. But what must having to endure such things with no hope be like? No hope of ever having any restoration. No hope of ever having any possibility that there might be any relief from it. This is the destination for natural man because of his sin. You say, isn't this a bit harsh to condemn all men to this? No, it is not. But you see, I've been a very good person. I've not done much wrong. I've been very upright in my life. I've gone about and I haven't harmed anyone. I've tried to help everybody I possibly can. My friends, the very smallest of sins in your sight, the most insignificant of sins in your sight, even a sin that you didn't even realize you'd done at the time, that alone was enough to condemn you. That alone was enough. What of everything else? There is no hope. The Scripture hath concluded all under sin. But the verse goes on. Because all are not eternally concluded under sin. We must yet be in these sinful bodies for the time. That is our due. But yet, but yet, there is a heaven. There shall be those who inhabit heaven. There shall be those that see that glorious place. There shall be those who will gaze upon the face of Jesus Christ, their Savior for all eternity. Because there is a promise of God by faith of Jesus Christ to be given to them that believe. Well then, what is contained in this promise? What is this promise? First of all, what is in it? Well, we have considered very much the opposite of the promise. We have considered what happens to natural man and the promise runs along lines very contrary to it. It runs to the extent that first of all and most importantly, man may be accepted before God. This is not merely unqualified. This promise is not applied to the whole of mankind by any means. We shall come on to this in a moment. But nonetheless, there is a promise. We must make this clear. This promise, first of all, it is of acceptance before God. Being found to be pleasing in His sight. 
How can this be? We have considered man's condition. We have considered how that man of himself is doomed and condemned to hell by nature. How then can it be that he can be accepted with God? How is it that there is any possibility that any man might be found righteous before God? The answer is Jesus Christ. That is the only way. It is the way. He is the way, the truth and the life. And he is the sure way. His righteousness imputed to those for whom the promise is given. Imputed to them. And that makes them to be able to stand before God in robes white and clean. Pure in his eyes because of Jesus Christ. This promise contains more, of course. That is a principal thing. We cannot set that to one side. But nonetheless, it contains also eternal life. And that not in hell, but in heaven. Not eternal death, which is a fair description of hell, but eternal life. Yes, you are alive now, in one sense. But one day, you shall die, in the physical sense. But are you dead, spiritually tonight? Are you in a state where you are dead, spiritually? You are dead to God, you are dead to Jesus Christ. That is spiritual death. My friends, if that can, is continued in, that way is continued in, then it shall lead to eternal death. We're not speaking of mere temporal life and death here. But we are speaking of spiritual life and death. But this eternal life, it does not mean that man will not pass through the grave, this promise. It does not mean that all men will be, who are, for whom this promise applies will be spared from the grave and from natural, physical, human death. But it does mean that that death, rather than ushering them down to the depths of hell, rather conducts them before the throne of majesty in heaven. It rather takes them straight from this poor earth and brings them to the presence of Jesus Christ. Death for the believer. Death for the Christian for whom the promise applies is a glorious thing. It is a wonderful thing. Because it will take them straight. All the miseries of this life, they will be left behind. There shall be no more tears. They shall be wiped out of their eyes. Gone forever. As they are brought and transported to a world of joy. A world of peace, a world of happiness. A world where Christ is all in all. Where Christ is evidently set forth. Not merely as he has been before the Galatians. Not in word only. Not just with the eye of faith. But now we see him. We, see, we shall see Jesus. In his person. In his glory. Which we cannot bear to see at the present when he came to the earth, his glory was veiled for that season. Even then, his glory was not fully manifest. For we could not bear it. In our current condition, as we are in these sinful flesh, we could not bear the sight 
of Jesus Christ in all his glory. And yet we shall be prepared. As we pass through this life, we are prepared for that wonderful glory which is to come and to gaze upon Jesus Christ there in glory. Is there something else contained in the promise? It's not the first thing, but nonetheless, it is such a warm, heartwarming thing for us to think upon this, to look forwards to what is included in this wonderful promise. But how does it come? It's a promise by faith of Jesus Christ. That is, faith which is given by Jesus Christ. That is, faith which comes from him and a faith which believes in him. It is a faith which is centered around him. He is the center of it all. It is not the law that condemns. But Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Now we see, do we not, a glorious thing. We see Jesus Christ who came down and left that place of glory. He left all the riches of that place, all the splendor of it, all the majesty, all of the honor that was upon him in that place. And he came down into this world. We cannot even imagine. We cannot compare what that would be like. It would be like a prince coming from his palace and going to dwell for a season in some poor man's hut. And the water came through the roof. There was no insulation. And it was cold. And that is a poor description indeed. We cannot begin to picture it. But for our minds, it is something of it. We may grasp it this way. He did this. That there might be salvation for some. He came down in this way then. And he came into the earth. To be born of a virgin, as a babe, in weakness. The Son of God came down to be born of a woman in such a weak state. It's a wonderful thing. It is a demonstration of the love of God towards his people. He came down in this way then. and He lived upon this earth. He was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He lived through his life upon the earth for the space of 33 or so years, perfectly walking before God, and doing his father's business, even from a young age when he told his parents those words, must be about my father's business. But then when the time was come, the Messiah must be cut off. For sins not his own, but for the sins of his people. And there he was cruelly condemned and hanged upon that cross. My friends, he did not merely bear the physical torture of crucifixion, which was great, but he bore the wrath of his father, his back turned upon his son for those hours upon the cross, those hours of grievous darkness and great agony, those hours of blackness across the land. did it for the love that he had for his people. He did it that this promise might be fulfilled. That this promise might be set forth and it might be applied to his people. And all that had been taken place before might be fulfilled. All those prophecies which spoke of it. All the prophecies which spoke of the Messiah to come to save the world. 
to come to provide there to be a saviour appointed for men to flee to, to find refuge when convicted of sin. He came in this way. And there upon the cross, he completed his great work and he cried, it is finished. And the third day, God raised him up from the dead, the seal of his approval being stamped upon the sacrifice. Faith of Jesus Christ, and faith in him, and faith from him. But for whom was this promise to be given? Who shall be the ones who shall be spared? Who shall be the ones who will be delivered from all the torments of hell and shall enjoy the wonderful, great riches of this promise? which we have seen but a feeble glimpse of tonight. Who shall they be? Well, they shall be sinners to start with. Jesus Christ came not to call the righteous, but he came to call sinners to repentance. My friends, he came to call those who he had chosen from eternity past. He came to call those And to open up, as it were, and this was as the apostles preached, to present a Jesus Christ for those who are wounded in their conscience. To present him as a ready saviour to those who were stirred up and convicted in their minds by this law which they had broken, which they had transgressed and trampled over. For these people, they came to set forth one, and they cried out, You must repent. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. My friends, all have broken this law. All are under condemnation. Yet, there is salvation in Jesus Christ. For his people, you must flee to him. The law will but condemn you. All that you do will only ever condemn you. But Jesus Christ is able to save. And he is willing to save. And he will not turn away those who come to him sincerely and call upon his name and plead with him for mercy. My friends, do you know Christ tonight? Do you know him in your heart? Is he the darling of your soul? Your beloved? the chiefest among ten thousand to you. What is Christ to you tonight? Is he your dearest? Or have you no thought of him tonight? My friends, take heed of your ways. There is nothing but ruin without him. If you do not know him, seek his face. Even tonight, call upon his name that he would plead with him for the promise by faith of Jesus Christ because the scripture hath concluded all under sin. Well, may the Lord bless these things to our souls tonight and grant to us salvation to those who know him not, encouragement to those who believe, and bless us each for Christ's dear sake. Amen.